0: Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Today, I'm so excited to sit down with my friend Danielle Polini. She's a UX research and design strategy consultant for early stage startups, founding member of the Girls Club Mastermind, the person who first introduced me to the Dream Client interview, and the photographer responsible for a lot of the beautiful images on my website and social media. We talk about everything from asking strategic questions to move things forward to checking our assumptions and creating morning rituals that work for us, plus, of course, pizza. I just know you're going to enjoy my conversation with Danielle as much as we did. Welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I'm so excited to sit down today with Danielle Polini, who is a UX research and design strategy consultant for early stage startups. Um, She's also, I think, my first pandemic friend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she is the genius behind a lot of the photos that are on my website. Uh, Danielle, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, thank you.
0: Oh, it's so fun to have you here. Um, well, I guess it'd be before we get started, would you mind just briefly introducing yourself to our listeners?
1: Yes. Okay, so I'm Danielle. I'm a pizza enthusiast, definitely an assumption checker. I love making up and asking questions. Sometimes I'm a photographer, as you now know, and I am currently one of Palm Springs non-retiree residents.
0: Oh my gosh. I love that. What a fun (laughs) intro. (laughs) I love it. I'm going to ask about like basically all of those things. Um,
1: (laughs) Yes. I was trying to not describe myself by my job and that is what I came up with.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I love it. And I feel like that's like such a journey. I remember at some point in my like late twenties, maybe I started trying to like stop asking people what they did for work as their, as my first question. Um, But I feel like it's so human to just lead with like, this is what I do.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely tough. I've tried to do that too and it's really tough because there's also some level of like social <laughs> anxiety of like, I'm meeting this new person and I want to place them in the world and yeah, I've been there too.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and then it's also like I feel um, it's hard too to define ourselves even – If we get away from work, like outside of our activities, I'm like, what would I say besides like the fact that I love yoga and hot springs and the beach?
1: (laughs) Those are all great things.
0: They are. They're (laughs) all fun. Well, I have to ask. So, my favorite first question to ask on the podcast is the biggest one, of course. Um, So, (laughs) because it is the Women Changing the World podcast. If you had to change one thing about the world, actually, not if you had to, if you got to change one thing about the world, what would be your one thing?
1: The one thing I would change about the world is definitely the assumptions we make about each other. I've noticed, I mean, I definitely noticed myself doing this, but I've noticed others as well. We start to fabricate stories to make sense of other people's behavior and guests when we just don't have the answers. Um, And then we start to hold our ideas or our stories as truth instead of actually having conversations Mm -hmm. with people or checking in on any of our assumptions. And we go off with that into the world. And I've definitely seen that ruin relationships, seen it be harmful at work. And I've also watched businesses build products based on these assumptions, which is why I have my job. Um, But it it feels like it just contributes to a lot of the disconnection and hurt or even anger I see around me. And that is what I would love to change about the world, Um, which is partly recognizing that we're making assumptions and stories, but part learning to ask better questions or having hard conversations, which I think is not something we necessarily learn in school (laughs) to deal with. So it's fair Mm -hmm. that it's not something we, we have the capability of doing all the time.
0: It's definitely a skill that we that can be developed or outsourced.
1: (laughs) Very (laughs) true. Um, Very true. I love it.
0: I had never like thought about your job as like you are like in a lot of ways a professional assumption checker among other things.
1: Um, I'm gonna put that on my resume. (laughs) (laughs) Oh
0: my gosh, you totally should. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Well, for anyone listening who's like not as familiar with UX research or design strategy, can you tell us a little bit more about what it is and why it's important? I mean, I think you just articulated in many ways why assumption checking is important, but any, any other pieces about how this fits into like overall like business success?
1: Uh, so I de- I mean I'm I'm also making an assumption about who is listening. So I will say that this is an assumption, but it's definitely true in tech. Uh, so you're I'm usually in meetings where decisions are being made with assumptions about the user or the customer. and I'm going to guess this maybe happens at other companies like quite a bit as well. You're making assumptions because you have a tight deadline. you're asked to do these things. you have to just go with your gut and make quick decisions. So, When we don't go out and check those assumptions we're making or invalidate or disprove them, they can be really risky decisions for the business. Uh, And obviously this happens quite a lot, so we're making a lot of risky decisions. So my job as a U.S. researcher is typically to go out and instead of making the assumptions and moving on, test those with customers, have conversations with them, challenge these assumptions, and either come back and validate or disprove them find blind spots we might have had or new opportunities and take those back to any of the teams working on building the product or working on strategy and make suggestions. Um, I also prefer to take those people along with me, so I love those people to be in my interviews and be a part of this with me so that not only do I not have to do as much work and I can train them to do it, but I don't have to convince them that <laughs> this is what's said in these meetings. So yeah, my goal is really just to build continuous customer input and conversation into a company's routine. And that's what I've been doing at a lot of tech companies now. I love it. Um, and I want to make sure everyone has, I mean, user research isn't the only input companies need to make decisions, but I want to make sure it's a big part of their decision-making process.
0: Mm, that makes so much sense. And I think so often we like think we know the answer, so we <laughs> take it and we run with it. But if we just asked people what they wanted, I people will almost always tell us exactly what they want. We just have to ask.
1: Yeah, and I think the part about it that I really like too is that not only does it help a business, your customers actually end up what they want <laughs> with the products yeah. that actually solve their problems. Maybe not what they want because there's it's fair that sometimes you don't really know what you need to solve a problem, but they actually get their problem solved and the products T- they Yeah, need.
0: totally. And so, yeah, sometimes we also don't know what we need. <laughs> <laughs> Totally fair. Totally fair. Um well what does your what does your current day to day look like doing this like are you on in a lot of like conversations interviewing people or like what's like the mix of activities that makes up a random Tuesday
1: Um that is a good question. I I will say that now that I have seasoned and have been doing this for I think 10 years I know that I need a lot of introvert (laughs) time and I'm very empathetic, but also need to recover from a lot of this. So I have built a lot of, not necessarily boundaries, but morning time to myself or time to just reflect on what I've heard, make sure I exercise or move around so that I'm processing the information. So I have a good mix of time to myself. And customer conversations, and talking to the team, and showing up. I think it's great to be able to do things in Google Docs and just comment on a thread and say, you know, I think this about what's going on, or let me comment on this strategy. So it's a lot of Google Doc time, <laughs> a <laughs> lot of healing from a lot of talking, and then I do run continuous uh, research. So to every Tuesday and Thursday, I am for sure talking to co- at least two customers per day on those days. Um, and then if there's any bigger effort going on and maybe having a lot of conversations. Um, but I, yeah, I do try to keep a good, healthy mix of talking and not talking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. That seems important. Uh, to, to keep and processing. Energy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Definitely. And be able to draw insights from everything you hear.
1: Yes. I do find that um, when I, it's very interesting. I could be sitting and talking to people all day, but when I walk away and go on my walk, all, all of it will come together and link and the strategy and patterns will form for me. So I, that's why I do now tell my manager that I need time like that, which is great that I have that support. And it's great to just like get out and walk and process things. And I feel like I do a lot better job, which is something I didn't necessarily know when I was younger, um, mm-hmm. but I do prioritize now.
0: Yeah. I mean, rest and like that synthesis time is so important. It doesn't necessarily like look like quote unquote work from the outside Mm -hmm. but I, I know for me too like when I'm not in front of my computer is often when I'm like really getting the most important ideas and insights for the things that I do in front of my computer
1: yeah totally fair
0: Um, well, I love it. So you mentioned that you've been in this space for 10 ish years. And one of my favorite things to hear about on the podcast is when people tell kind of the story of how they came to be where they are today. And so the invitation really is to like, take up space and tell your story, um, but would love to hear like, what has brought you to this point?
1: Good question. So I I actually did not start out as a researcher. I started out working as a designer at tech companies, and I found myself making work, and then checking in with my coworkers or the people I was collaborating with, and I would have my work changed or cut up, which is hard. I admit uh, it's hard on its own, but and initially thought like this is my fault or I need to get better at defending my decisions or I need to argue it out. And of course, like put myself as a problem because I was young in my career Um, and we do that. Um, But the more I paid attention, I looked around and noticed that other people were struggling with this. Uh, I realized it was kind of a symptom of how startups were working at that point or just early stage startups were trying to get things done quickly Uh, there was a lot of assumptions that internal employees were the users and that they therefore knew what to do or how to build things. So there was just so many assumptions flying around. So it of course made sense that I can put anything out there and whoever I put in front is going to have a different perspective. And even if I defend it, there's nothing I can really say if that's their perspective and everyone thinks they're the users. So... I went a little rogue at one of my first jobs and just started talking to users. Um, wasn't necessarily trained for it, but I knew a few people around me that were good at it. There's tons of resources, obviously, online. So I just started out like I very lightweight started doing surveys or whatever I could do that was free because I didn't have to ask for budget, which sounds funny now. Um, but yeah, talk to people oh, internally. So real
0: though. I feel like when yeah. I think about like when I was first starting in sustainability, it was like, yeah, how much can I get done with zero dollars?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because I didn't even write that down as something to think about. And, and as I was talking about I was like, oh yeah, I had, like no budget. I was just doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I just, I figured out a lot of ways to do things on a tight budget and really quickly with almost no buy-in um, which is why I still like really working with early stage startups because I I know the, the conditions they're in. <laughs> I know how to adapt to those conditions. Um, so yeah, I just kept doing it. I tested things internally, surveys, start, kept training myself, kept asking for feedback, kept putting myself in places to get better at this. and kept talking about the benefits internally to anyone that would listen and kept bringing it up when I would present designs. And it did take, I will say I worked summer for four years and I started doing this maybe in the first year I was there. And at the four year mark when I left was when I had like succeeded at this <laughs> and everyone was bought in. So it took me a few years to get going, but I didn't give up cause it felt really important to me. Um, and when I left, I had built research into the design process. I was training designers and the marketing team to do research themselves. I had set up like usability testing. It was a big part of the company. I was presenting at company meetings. And I, like a lot of people on the team just had more confidence in their creative process because they could lean on research and actual customer inputs and validating assumptions to do their work. So it felt really good to leave and be like, Oh, I did this, like, this is a thing. And I went on from there to do this at other companies as well. And now I hope to keep doing that at as many early stage startups as I can, or just continue to train people to do it because I really think it's power, a powerful part of the decision-making process, especially when you're early and you have to be very scrappy, the big companies have this down and they have the resources, but I love to start like help the ones that don't have as much resource. Resource, sorry, that don't have as much many resources available to them. Uh, and I want them to do it as quickly as possible because when you're that early on, you have to move really quick. <laughs> you have to make decisions really quick. You don't have a lot to go with. So that is where I love to live now.
0: Mm, yes. Well, you're the first person who really introduced me to the idea of dream client interviews, um, which I'm pretty sure is how we first like really met. Um, so I'm curious, like how... Have you leveraged those like in your own business and in your own work, like aside from the work that you do, like for other companies?
1: Yes, I totally. Re- That's so funny. That was like a great. That was a great highlight of the pandemic. Was these Congress ideal client interviews I had, especially with you, because now we're best friends. <laughs>
0: Totally. And I just remember, like, and it was like, honestly, I got off the phone with you and I was like, well, I 100% want to, like, hire her. Like, and I just want to, like, yeah. be her friend. And I was like, interesting. Like, <laughs> that's just whatever. I don't know what your agenda was, but I was like, it totally worked. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Well, I guess, so continuing a little bit, answering this question, but also continuing a bit from my story around 2019. I get a little burnt out on tech and had some time off work, and I was like, I'm going to do this photography business. I'm going to start it. And I, of course, didn't listen to anything I had learned with other people's businesses and just was like, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to start with social media. I'm just going to offer these random products and totally adapted all the bad habits that I preach against. (laughs) Uh, and then was like, this is not working out. can't imagine why. Um, so I started doing dream client interviews with some people from the assembly, which you were one of, and obviously like kickstarted better ideas about what to offer, but also made me reconnect and get more motivated to do my photography business. Unfortunately, it was also pandemic time and I moved. So things got a little (laughs) easy there, but yeah, I think, I think it was funny that I, started my own side project and then totally forgot about everything I had learned in tech. So funny <laughs> story, but also a good reminder. like it's you just get started, you just keep building and then you're like, why aren't things working out? Um so good reminder this is an option if you're feeling like that. Um and it's, it's some it's interesting because the more I sat in the entrepreneur space and the more I sat in on, Trainings on social media and all these things. I realized that this was a huge. I still think it's a huge thing that's missing mm-hmm. is actually talking to your clients. I think it's said a lot when people want to know, you know, build content, like talk to your ideal client, so you know how, what they're what language they're using, how they're talking about things, which is totally fair and a great a great idea. But actually building out what you're doing and if it's uh, you're actually solving a problem, I don't feel like that space has been emphasize enough or there's a lot of that out there so still maybe an opportunity I might (laughs) I might dig into but yeah it it definitely was something that wasn't super popular at the time to do but I was like I learned from tech we got to do this and I'm also running into like the classic mistake of not not knowing why things aren't working out uh yeah yeah
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, you completely inspired me and I feel like I have used the dream client interview kind of process to launch like almost every new thing I've done in my business in the past couple of years because I just like it's I mean, it's just yeah, it's amazing. It's like such a great (laughs) way. I think so often, I think, especially as entrepreneurs, but I think also just like as humans in the world, and maybe like, especially for women, but like, we feel like we have to have all the answers, or like, we have to like, figure it out ourselves. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think, also, like, you know, people are often really want to help us. And if you ask the right questions, people will like, tell you like what their what their challenges are. They'll tell you what they're excited about. They'll mm-hmm. tell you like what they think you should do um, if you make the time Agreed. to actually sit down and ask.
1: Yeah, yeah, you don't have to guess. I think there's some, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if other people experience this, but I definitely experienced like this. I have to be overconfident. I've got this, let's just do it and see what happens. And I forgot to actually ask people, which is a very funny, and I, I don't know, yeah, a very funny choice on my part, given what I did before. But yeah, it's it's a funny story now, I guess.
0: Well, I mean, I think it's so human, right? Like I think especially yes. in trying to start a business, you're like drinking from a fire hose and there's so many people out there who are like yeah. trying to sell you on like, this is my system for like your first like 10k a month or your first six figures or whatever it is, and it's like just follow this system and like it's all mindset and you need to do the mindset work and then but you also need to do the social media and then you need to do the marketing. You need to figure out the sales calls. And it's just like so much stuff. Um that I can totally appreciate how you were busy like working on the mindset and showing up <laughs> confidently and like forgotten the things yes. that you actually know how to do. <laughs> Um, are equally yes. important, if not more important than like all the things that people tell us to do. Yes. Um. Oh my gosh. Well, that's, I love that. <laughs> I'm glad that you can look back on that uh, and laugh.
1: <laughs> yes. It's like, I mean, it's a good lesson. I think we all default to this sort of behavior. Like, oh, I just know what I'm doing and it's okay We default to our assumptions and they do have to be checked, even if it's by ourselves. <laughs> Yeah. When there's like so many
0: examples, I could like write a list a mile long of things where I'm like, I know better. I like, (laughs) I like tell my clients like how to do this, or I've like taught this in a course, or I've like had this as my job. And like, it's like, I I know better than to do it the way that I then did it. But for whatever reason, um, I find myself making the mistakes. that (laughs) I'm like, Oh, yeah, this was why that process made a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, but may, maybe that's what makes us great at our jobs—is we have ourselves failed at it at times, and we know what it feels like. We're not sitting around shaming people. We're here to help them get out of it. So maybe it's fair. Maybe it's required for your job to. Go yeah, you say.
0: I think that's. I think that I love that interpretation. It's, yeah, it's like until you've like failed or like not had it not turned out the way you wanted it to turn out then you haven't like reverse engineered (laughs) why there's a different way of doing it um well I feel like you're someone who I just really love the way that you've kind of done this beautiful dance between like entrepreneurship and being in house and I think so often there's this idea that like from an identity perspective, we have to like pick one or the other. And like, I think especially with entrepreneurship, but I think it's, I think it goes both ways. There's this idea of like, I am an entrepreneur. I'm never going back. (laughs) And, (laughs) And then I think like, I've watched in the last year or so, a lot of my friends who are entrepreneurs running like very successful businesses decide for various reasons to go back in house. Um, and so I'm curious, like, do you have any wisdom or insights for anyone who's feeling like they need to like choose one thing or the other thing?
1: Um, I think I'm going to say the annoying thing here, which is it just happened. I do hate when people say that. (laughs) Um, but that's when I think about it, I'm like, oh, it just happened. Jeez. Um, I'm sure. So I sort of got tired of photography late last, somewhere mid last year. It just wasn't working out with where I had moved. And I had started showing up again on LinkedIn with user research and someone I had worked with before reached out. And that's how I ended up with one of my favorite clients. And then it started to build from there. And I just loved working with them and went full time. Uh, So my advice or how it worked out for me is that I just took what felt aligned and like every new thing that came, like, is this really what I want to be doing? Is this where I want to go? And that it, it did take me a while to go full-time because I really enjoyed being part-time and like really protecting my energy, but I felt like this company would allow me to protect my energy full-time. And that's why I made the transition. Uh Also, I think for me personally, I could get Have a lot more influence. I I don't mean this in like I have more power way, but almost like I could have more influence and I could really actually help them with the research they needed if I was full time. So it felt right to me, and just evolved in a way that felt good. I will say it was not without pain. Like I definitely, (laughs) you know, felt confused as to what to do in the time at the time. I'd sometimes still feel a little like flaky about which way I'm going, and I always think that people are thinking that I'm flaky or I change my mind too much, but I, as I get older, I realize that nobody's really thinking that much about what I'm doing, so, so it's probably fine. Um, I would say if you're in the situation, it's never pain-free to choose one or the other or to go back and forth. It just has to feel like right to you and listening to yourself at this point and seeing what's coming at you and what you really want will probably get you in the right direction.
0: Mm. That's such sound. I mean, I don't even necessarily want to call it advice, but I feel like that's so it's so wise Um, because I think so often, too, it's like we think that the next decision is like that's it. That's the decision forever. Um, (laughs) But it's just the next decision. And so making an aligned next decision and like feeling like of the options on the table in this moment, you're like going with the option that feels better. As opposed to like playing it out like 18 steps ahead.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's tough though, because you want, we want that like secure, or I guess not making assumptions about what other people want. (laughs) I want that like security a lot of time. Like I have this thing, I'm good for now, I've got this going, like I've made the decision. I think I don't love to make decisions. So it's nice to be like, well, I'm on this path now and that is the path I'm on. So it's never pain-free for me to have to make a new decision. Um, <laughs> like a new that's path. Yeah, it's never pain-free, but it is how it is. That's <laughs> what I'm learning.
0: Do you ever feel like if you, when you look back at well, I guess I'll share where I'm, I'm coming from with this question. So I, I, heard, I heard an interview recently that someone was talking about how like in the moment of like making an agonizing decision, like it's only agonizing until you decide usually. Yeah. And then like once it's decided, it like isn't agonizing anymore and that they like wish that they could just like make decisions like faster because they know that it's going to like stop sucking as much once the decision is made. Is that something where you feel like in hindsight, do the decisions mm. feel like, oh, I just needed to pick one or like in hindsight, are you like, nope, that like actually just was the hard process and I'm not looking forward to the next one?
1: Um, That's a good question. I'll have to think, I'll have to reflect on that a little bit as I go along. But what I'm thinking right now Yes, I do feel like there's interest. There's like definitely points where when I just make the decision, I feel better. But I don't know. I think I was being a little bit smart with this specific decision where I was part time and then went full time. I think I was being very honest about what I needed. And I Mm -hmm. think it actually ended up better in the end because I have the boundaries I need in a full time role, which I maybe wouldn't have gotten if I wasn't so honest about where I was at and what the space I needed and the boundaries and like my energy level. Um, So yeah, I would say probably most times I do just need to make a decision and then it's over, but I actually will compliment my dragging this decision out a little bit (laughs) because I set some boundaries that I maybe wouldn't have if I was quicker to make a decision.
0: Mm, Yes. Well, I, I was just reading an article right before we hopped on this interview and someone was sharing that like, they basically like they got what they wanted out of a contract negotiation because they said no the first time um (laughs) and said why like i like i just could i can't possibly do this for like this amount of money with these like criteria it would need to be this and because you can't haven't met me there it's just it's a no and this person like said like they came back two weeks later with everything she asked for. So,
1: Mm, (laughs) so I do think like,
0: yeah, having your non-negotiables or like being really clear about that, um, as opposed to just saying yes quickly, there's good reason to hold out sometimes.
1: Yes, that is fair. It's very fair. Interesting. I'm going to think about these as I go through my day now. Like. Why will I stop agonizing if I just make the decision <laughs> or is this a good way to draw it out, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Y'all have to tell me what you, what you reflect. <laughs> um, well, changing topics, um, to something like probably the most fun thing we're going to talk about. today. I mean, this is all fun, but pizza, <laughs> you are, uh, the ultimate pizza chef in my life. Uh, <laughs> how did you I realize I truly don't know the answer to this like how did you get started with like your pizza making obsession and what are your top tips for someone who's listening and wants to learn how to make
1: their own pizza at home um I love that you called me the top pizza chef in your life um (laughs) (laughs) one of my sister's Friends, she was. I guess they were talking about pizza and pizza ovens. And my sister's friend was like, "Oh, your sister's like a pizza influencer, right?" And I was so excited <laughs> to do that. No, I'm not, but I wish. Um, I wish I could do that all day. Uh, how do we get started? So, my husband and I eat a ton of pizza, and we were eating it almost. I, I'm embarrassed to say, like almost every day as our meals, <laughs> and at some point. This is way pre way pre pandemic. I want to say it was like 20 i 2018 I'm going to say is when this was and we decided we had to pick one day to have pizza. It was our pizza day. Otherwise we had to eat healthier <laughs> meals. <laughs> uh so we really started to cherish that day. Uh so we got really into it and started with, you know, those Trader Joe's dough balls. It was like our first attempt and Even if we picked up pizza or had frozen pizza, it was fine. It was the one day we get to have it. And I think one day I was like, oh, I'm just going to experiment with making our own dough. Like I don't feel like going to Trader Joe's today. It's too crowded. Uh, So I made a basic dough I found on the internet myself. And making pizza dough is such an experiment. There's so many variables. Things can go wrong. So, of course, I just had to keep changing it from there. Like, what went (laughs) wrong? What, What happened over here? And then you pick up the recipe books and you try to do the complicated recipes and everything just goes Oh my god! To hell! It's so, <laughs> so much harder than I thought. Uh, but I couldn't stop doing it. And I found that just kneading the dough was so relaxing. Making a pizza from scratch, even if it was the worst pizza in the world, was so soothing to me because it felt like I made something. In the end, I had something tangible, which you don't always get. You know, working in tech, you mm. don't always feel some tangible result.
0: Yeah, so well, I'm really I really started enjoying it. I really so I feel have- like cooking is like art you can eat.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. I feel so satisfying.
0: Yeah. I love that.
1: Um, but yeah, so then I just kept kept trying different dough recipes, kept trying different ovens. Uh, I'm so grateful. I will shout out to my husband. I'm grateful that he ate any pizza I made, even though it was horrible. Ah! <laughs> I really appreciate it uh, because I didn't have to feel bad like and make something else or – he just was like, yeah, whatever. It's great. And then would give me some feedback on it and then continue to eat it. So I really appreciate (laughs) that. (laughs) That is how I made it where I am today. Um, But yeah, I have a whole Google, actually somehow I can probably share the Google doc with you on all my tips and lessons learned if you want to get really serious about it. But I would also say if you just enjoy making it and it's fun, get the Trader Joe's ones, whatever, just make it however you want. Uh, Don't put too much pressure on it Um, because it is a lot it is an art <laughs> and there's a lot of variables and I'm still refining my recipe, even though some people think I'm an influencer. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I
0: feel like we've got like a whole new LinkedIn tagline for you just based on our <laughs> conversation so far, professional, uh, assumption checker and pizza influencer.
1: <laughs> yes. I love these things. Yes.
0: That's awesome. Um, what's your current favorite pizza to make if you had to pick just one?
1: I feel like I'm on – there's an asparagus pizza that I really am enjoying right now.
0: Mm. I know you
1: said pick just one, but also because it's summer, there's this really great pineapple one in the Pizza Czar cookbook that I highly recommend as well. So those Ooh. are the ones in my head right now.
0: <laughs> I'll have to investigate. I live with a pineapple pizza lover. so <laughs> Oh, it's very
1: good. I, it also – I mean, it usually has meat on it. I don't make that, but I bet. I bet this one would be good. I would try it out i'll send you the recipe
0: <laughs> i love it please do um well i know and you mentioned this earlier in our conversation but i also know that your morning routine is something that you've really cultivated and I, i'm like i don't even know what to call this i feel like whatever chapter of pandemic life we're in now
1: mm, <laughs> i know i'm
0: going um, but do you have any like tips or tricks for people who are listening who want to make their mornings work for them a little bit better?
1: Yes. And I will definitely credit you with helping me realize that my morning routine was off and that was making me feel off. Uh so thank you for that. Oh but my gosh, my- thank
0: you. Yeah, no, I feel like you were <laughs> like my mornings aren't working. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you for letting me chat it out with you. Um I think, well, for me first, the mornings are my time. That's when I'm the most energized and I just like the mornings way better than I like the evening. So if you are not like that and some other time works for you, don't feel pressured to make your mornings work. Um, But yeah, I think I noticed – well, I did. I got got a puppy and I just was all thrown off and I was trying to make my way back to my life pre-puppy and what brought me energy. And I was realizing that I didn't really have a good morning routine. I was kind of just reacting to whatever needed to happen in the morning at work and with dog and we're doing stuff to our house. So there's always something going on. And I just kept being very reactive and also felt my energy was just super low. Uh, So just being aware of what was going on with me and realizing where I saw holes or changes that needed to be moved back move the needle back a little bit uh so just like paying attention was super helpful to me and now i try to wake up at the same time every day and just give myself permission to have my morning time do whatever i want until i think about 9 a.m is when i start to really log into work and get focused maybe sometimes it's earlier if that's what i feel but i really focus on what feels good to me that day like i'll go on a walk with my dog have some good coffee. Maybe I'll go out to coffee. Maybe I'll sit outside. Maybe I'll watch TV. Whatever just feels right to me in the morning is the time I put the most energy into uh, and really like do whatever is like my favorite, my thing, the highlight of the day is going to be in the morning. So yeah. it's. I mean, it's tough though. You have to figure out. It's a lot to pay attention to yourself and what you need and what would feel best to you in the morning. and. If you're commuting to work, it's sometimes hard and you don't have as much time. Um, But luckily I work from home. I can kind of get myself up around the same time. Uh, So it's been working for me and I'm very happy with it.
0: That's so cool to hear. And I feel like it's so, I just so, I feel like especially in the pandemic that I understand and experience the temptation to just like log on and start Mm -hmm. without a commute, right? I feel like on a commute, I used to be pretty good about listening to, like, an inspirational podcast, reading the news, and even if I, like, had taken a peek at my email, I typically wouldn't, Mm -hmm. like, really fully get back into it until I was at my desk, Um, but when everything happens at home, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like creating that space for yourself before you jump into, like, all the things that other people want and need for you can be such a game changer.
1: Yeah. That's funny that you talk about your commute that way because the one of the main reasons I wanted to get out of tech and started the photography business was that I couldn't fathom commuting on BART anymore and that it was ruined. The morning commute was really ruining my day and not conducive to me actually doing good work. <laughs> and I think I realized I should have connected that probably to 2022 problems and my current changes in my routine. But yeah, I just couldn't I just felt so tired when I got to work and like I had given the best part of my day to commuting on BART and (laughs) Um, I just couldn't – I was like, this can't be my life. This can't be it.
0: I I so understand that. I feel like I've had – I had a number of different commutes when I lived in San Francisco and the one that I was picturing as I was describing that was like one of – I would say like arguably like the most delightful San Francisco commute that existed. It was on an express (laughs) bus that went from like – you know point a to point b relatively efficiently sometimes it was crowded but i was like the first stop or one of the first stops so i just had a seat and like it was like all the details aligned for it to be like a pretty pleasurable as far as commutes go experience but my last commute in san francisco was like pre the assembly was like such a chaotic disaster that i can t- like i can totally understand how like living through that commute any longer than i did would have like been a reason on its own to reevaluate that job because it just it's yeah. like hard to start your day in chaos.
1: Yeah, it is. And there's a lot there's a lot going on in San Francisco. There's a lot <laughs> happening on BART. There's a lot of walking. It was just so much. I felt so drained going to work and then to meetings. And I didn't feel like I was being my best self. And I'm very lucky and grateful now to have the space I need.
0: Totally. Oh, I love that. Um, well, I want to come back to there is I, I know that you know so much about how to ask like really strategic questions. Uh to build trust and get the answers you need to move forward in almost anything. So I want to come back to that at the very end <laughs> for people who are listening. Uh I've heard Danielle give a couple TED talks on this topic. Um, and there's a lot of juice there, but I want to save it for the very end. So before we get to that, um I wanted to ask I have a couple kind of like quick hit questions that I just always love okay. hearing what people say. Um and Younger self advice is at the top of the list. Um, So what advice do you wish you could give younger Danielle or someone out there who's maybe listening to this and thinking you're a total badass?
1: (laughs) I think something I would probably say to like high school Danielle, it gets better. I think I felt very stuck in whoever I was in high school and just not getting out of routines and being around the same people and having to be the same person and I just would love the reminder like things get better things change you're not stuck here
0: that's great advice (laughs) (laughs) and also part of me listening I'm like oh well like I mean I don't necessarily think things are I mean there are things that are terrible like in the world right now but uh, like I don't I'm not sitting here feeling like stuck or like things are bad but I'm like I wonder if my older self would also say that to me right now
1: yeah that's fair Ooh, interesting
0: (laughs) Um, well, what's your favorite inspirational quote right now?
1: Um, I actually took it from an Instagram reel that's going around or the audio is going around, I guess. Uh, I say to myself, this is your reminder to schedule joy. There's that mm. one where it's like schedule joy like you would an appointment or something like that. And I try to remind myself to schedule two things that bring me joy each week it's not as easy as it sounds you think that you have all these fun things you want to do and actually find it to be one of the hardest things in my week is figuring out what to schedule that brings me joy
0: (laughs) do you have any examples for anyone listening i know everyone's joy is is their own um
1: something what do i try to do i think did i do oh see it's way harder like i can't even remember what brings me joy that's so funny um i definitely got my dog a bark box and like got Ah. excited about the time it arrived that's something i think is super fun because you get so excited to see like seven toys Mm -hmm. i know spoiled (laughs) um and then sometimes i'll schedule like going to a new place in palm springs that i haven't been or like my husband and i get to have a coffee date in the morning sometimes Ooh. very rare because we have crazy schedules but yeah those those things bring me a lot of joy trying out new coffee places or pizza places
0: mm that's so fun and i feel like there's something so indulgent about like going somewhere enjoying something and like getting like connection time before work even starts mhm uh, how fun! I'm I'm taking a page out of that book. This time. <laughs> uh, well related, and you can actually pick the same thing if you want to pick that thing. But I suspect that you, like me, have multiple inspiring post-its around your work station <laughs> slash life station. Um, so, and I think you know that I like aspire to one day print out a deck of like inspirational post-its. Um, so yes. So, if you get your own Danielle Polini inspirational Post-it, what would you want to write on it?
1: Um, that's funny because I have something here, but now I feel a lot of pressure to have something different. Um, but I have been reading. I think on your suggestion, that book Free Time, and mm. I just almost stopped reading at this one point because it was so powerful, and I couldn't totally process it. But she talks about what her one thing, her one job for the day is. And she really focuses on that. I think at some point it's exercise. I could be totally butchering this book. I'm so sorry if she's listening. Um, but I wrote down, Jenny, I actually have. You're this- listening, <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm sure she's not offended, but
1: we're sorry. Because <laughs> we're, we're reading your book. It's amazing. Uh, but she says, like, What's your job today? And I have that written down. And for right now, my values are all on having energy and doing everything I can to make sure I have energy and that is a lot of why I think it's important to prioritize my mornings, but there's other things so I just look at that every day I'm like, this is the one thing I have to focus on my job today is to make sure I have energy
0: mm. uh,
1: and if I do that, I'm good. I have succeeded <laughs>
0: uh, and just the idea of it just like yeah what what is your job today? like it can change from day to day but
1: mm-hmm.
0: getting clear on like, picking one thing, which is so hard.
1: <laughs> it is.
0: Uh, thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Um, what is giving you hope for the future right now?
1: Um, My friends' kids, uh, which is a, not what I expected to answer, but I am getting ready to go to a seventh birthday party this weekend and I bought them little presents and I was just so excited about their hobbies and they're so energetic and full of questions. And I just want to be a part of it and help them continue to be super inquisitive and ask ah. good questions.
0: Oh my gosh, how fun! Well, and also thank you for the perfect segue uh, to the last thing that I, I want to ask you, which I know is like the, in a lot of ways, the juiciest. Um, but again you know so much about asking strategic questions to build trust and to like you know when things are gridlocked to get the information you need to move forward um so will you tell us some of your secrets for anyone who's listening and who's like oh i'm stuck how do i build trust with this person how do i move this project forward like what tips and tricks do you have for them
1: Yes. I Asking questions and reformatting them is my favorite thing. I do feel bad sometimes for my coworkers because they'll just reformat their questions because <laughs> I just love it. Um, yeah. So having asking great questions is really a, a great way to have hard conversations or try to uncover the intent we're maybe making stories up about. And I think I will also maybe quote slash butcher another book – And if he's listening, so sorry. But one of the best books I have on having difficult conversations and asking questions in a really strategic way is called Never Split the Difference. So you can dig in a little bit there if you want more information on this. But I think if you're having a conversation, especially at work with someone, maybe you disagree on something or you're not sure where they're assigning you this project from, I love – I have three things I stick to in those cases, Uh, definitely like label what you're seeing. So you could say, for example, it seems like you're upset about this decision, or it seems like this, you know, decision is taking off away from another decision we've made, what's important here. So label what you're seeing seeing in like a non-threatening way. You'd say something like it seems like, sounds like this is happening. Uh, another thing I think is really important when you ask questions is not to ask people why. Why tends to make us really defensive. (laughs) Uh, And I've noticed it even with me. me, I'm like, oh, don't ask me why. Like I feel like I have to defend further what I did. Whereas if you reformat that um, to a what or how question, people tend to think through their decision process. Or like if you – instead of saying why did you do that, you say what was important about this decision? How did you decide to do this? That tends to be a little less threatening. and People will actually give you their – Motivations of their decision process, and they can actually think it through themselves. So, yeah, avoid using "why." Try to label what you're seeing, um, and dig deeper with "what" or "how" questions. Are my top three tips? That's a very brief overview. <laughs> um, you can also dig in a little bit on that book or ask me personally
0: mm. how to how I to love create it. better
1: questions. Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, I, we definitely. I want info for where and how people can ask you. That, but I also want to just underline. I think one question that you just said that is so—it um, feels like such a powerful tool—is this idea of like, like, what about this is important, or like, what about this is important to you, or what about this is important to this project? Just so that, because sometimes people are like really fired up about something being important, but if you don't know why it's important and you don't want to ask, why is this important? Yeah, <laughs> I think well, that's such well, a great what's about this.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's tough because he's so a reactionist to ask why all the time, and then we also get defensive when people say why. So I always think, What or how? What or how questions? <laughs> how can I reframe this?
0: Yeah, uh, it's so good. Um, I just, yeah, I feel like you, I know you have so much more to share on this. And so for people who <laughs> are like, I need more Danielle, I need more pizza in my life, I need more assumption. Checking, I need more of all of this approach to life and the world. What is the best place for people to find you or follow along with you?
1: For right now, I definitely would do LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn.
0: I love it. Well, we'll definitely include a link to that in the show notes.
1: Perfect.
0: Yay. Oh my gosh, Danielle, this has been so fun. Um, And now I'm like very hungry for pizza.
1: Me too. (laughs) Me too.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I so appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. I loved it. Thank you so
0: much for tuning in to this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is liz.best. That's L-A-S dot B-E-S-T or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting elizabethbest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me, plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch, and I'll see you in the next episode.